This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. There's some exciting stuff going on in the EP world that will challenge organizations because with some of these new technologies comes a higher cost. Organizations are going to have to think twice about when and how and where to place these new technologies. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm Lisa McGuire, an Associate Principal with Spend Management Market Insights at SG2, and I'll be your host for this episode. Earlier this year, we did a podcast all about supply chain and how the role of supply chain is changing. Most importantly, this podcast began to discuss how the biggest trends impacting demand will have corresponding impacts on supplies and spend. This is a growing area of research for us, so we wanted to go deep into some of those trends, specifically at the service line level. With me today to do just that are my Vizient colleagues, Doug Beinborn and Chad Geese, to talk about some of the cardiovascular-specific trends. Thank you both for being here this morning. I had a chance to connect with each of you following this year's Vizient Connection Summit. The summit was held in Las Vegas, Nevada, and had record attendance. Over 2,000 members and over 900 suppliers were there with the goal of discussing some of the biggest challenges, mainly financial challenges, things like increasing costs, eroding margins, but also clinical, rising acuity, and capacity constraints, to name a few. But most importantly, these groups came together to brainstorm solutions. One of the biggest topics we focused on were strategic partnerships between suppliers and providers and how can we work better together to build greater transparency, improve quality, and address the increasing total cost of care. I know you both had a chance to sit down with some of the cardiovascular leaders from across the country during the event. What are some of the biggest challenges these leaders are facing? Chad, why don't you start? Top of mind has to be the rising acuity level of the patients that they're seeing come into their programs. On the cardiovascular side in particular, that rising patient acuity, increasing complexity. Patients are presenting with more comorbidities and at a later age, which makes them more challenging to manage. First and foremost, that's going to be driving a lot of our volumes over the next 10 years. We sometimes term this as growth, but this is patient demand based on the aging of the population and this rising acuity that we see hit our hospital's doors every day. Doug, you've been in the trenches. Does that resonate with you? Did you see that evolve as your career went on at Mayo? Absolutely. Every year, it seemed like the patients got sicker, more comorbidities and increased length of stay. The other thing that hospitals are challenged with is the emerging new technology. We have minimally invasive valve repair or replacement coming up, especially in the mitral valve area. We have new technology coming in the ablation area. And both of these are low margin procedures because the supply costs in both of those are so high. Hospital leaders are thinking, how do we take care of these populations and be able to create a margin at the same time? Excited about technology, excited about how to be able to care for patients in new ways and improve quality of life. How do these create enough margin for hospitals for sustainability? You point out a number of good observations. We've got this increasing volume on the inpatient side projected over the next 10 years of 6% for CV services. We have outpatient growth of over 20% for CV. We've got to find different ways to manage these patients. All of the technology that you've just described, some of it will be care redesigned, but some of it will have to be impacted or addressed through adoption of new technology, new approaches, new ways to manage patients, and really leveraging the value proposition that those new technologies bring. 
there's some exciting stuff going on in the EP world that will challenge organizations because with some of these new technologies comes a higher cost. Organizations are going to have to think twice about when and how and where to place these new technologies. Hospitals are having a hard time throwing enough resources at this. Another thing that came very clear is there's not enough nurses, there's not enough physicians, there's not enough technicians. As we think of new technologies that are being rolled out, would you encourage the suppliers to put their value proposition out there in a way that meets the needs of the providers in managing capacity, increasing quality, decreasing cost, or improving financial margins, revenues, whatever that may be? How can we work with our suppliers to make sure that what they're bringing to the market truly meets the provider's needs in addition to the patient's needs? Hospitals are going to have to juggle that along with industry. The other thing that's exciting is some of these emerging technologies shortens the length of procedure. But the problem with that is that you look at the mitral valve space, it's an underserved population right now. So it's going to be growth. Even though the procedure is minimally invasive versus surgical, it's still going to be new capacity that's going to have to be reached. Ablation may be a little bit different. It's like if the procedures are able to be shortened by pulse field ablation, it's going to be able to create better capacity. More patients will be going for ablation therapy than before. So there's about 6 million people in the U.S. with atrial fibrillation. Will more of those people go towards ablation when a technology like that comes out? And I guess that's to be determined. In our gut, we would say that we're going to continue to see AFib ablation grow, not only because of the 6 million people, but because we have more hypertension, we have more sleep apnea, we have all the risk factors that continue to grow, and we have an aging population. And Lisa, you had brought up the topic of partnerships. Based on all of what we're discussing here, the challenges, value propositions, the needs of both patients and providers, it makes that partnership between suppliers and providers even more critical moving forward, making sure that suppliers know what their customers would need in order to be successful. Chad, along those same lines, you mentioned the value proposition for some of these suppliers bringing new technology to market. How has the value proposition for some of these new technologies changed maybe even five years ago? What was the value prop versus today? There has been an evolution as simply looking at outcomes and features of a device has almost become less relevant when you get to these products that are commoditized. I know that's a bad word amongst the suppliers, but at some point, the features all look the same across devices. There are differences, but for the most part, maybe stick with the EP space here. They all seem to function very similarly. Then it comes down to more of a strategic elevation of the customer. How can this fit within a program? How can the supplier support a programmatic approach to managing these patients? We've seen that evolution. We've seen suppliers stand up teams that help to support programmatic development, that help to put products out there that wrap around the device that's being implanted. And so it's become less of a features sale as it is a programmatic support. Just to take off on that, the thing I'm finding interesting is about how to use technology to its fullest. In the CRM space, it's our manufacturers, they have features that identify people that are going towards worsening heart failure. How do we use those diagnostics within the device to be able to remotely care for these patients, to be able to help keep them out of the hospital? And these technologies have been around for 5, 10, 15 years even. It's gotten better each year, but many hospitals do not use these features to their fullest. 
how do we utilize the technology to its fullest to improve patient care? It's going to be continually be looked at in hospitals are adopting that more and more. And Doug, you raised a good point earlier regarding workforce. How does some of this new technology either help alleviate some of the workforce challenges or create perhaps a different model of workforce that's beneficial to provider organizations? Or have you seen good examples of that? Yeah, I have seen some good examples in the CRM space. Hospitals that have really adopted the remote heart failure diagnostics, they're both the companies have created technologies that alert the nurses that are taking care of those patients who they need to look at. So there's red alerts, meaning that you need to look into this patient right now. And green, that means the patient's doing well. You really don't need to intervene with this patient. It's allowed nurses and technicians to be able to work at higher capacities, like, and they know which patients they need to call and intervene with versus checking on all patients to see because that's not a very efficient model. So maybe they even take care of a few less patients and it's more intense, but it's more meaningful and it will keep those people out of the hospital or maybe just a clinic visit versus a hospital visit. And this goes into being able to use your workforce in new ways. They're well-trained. They know what to do. If they have to take care of this huge population, they have no data to go on versus they're taking care of patients with new data that alerts them that who gets prioritized. It really changes the healthcare paradigm. Yeah, that's a big one. It's less about that point in time episode, but how does this impact longer term care, longer term utilization of various healthcare resources across the continuum? It's an interesting dynamic, right? You have a lot of really new technology. How does either investing in some of this new technology impact a system's ability to realize growth or capture additional volume or does it? Well, let's just put this into reality. As of late, we're seeing more marginal change within products. The first truly innovative technology that we've seen hit the CV space was over 10 years ago now with Taver entering the market. But over the last 10 to 20 years, it's been marginal change. We've been getting better products Mm -hmm. in the next generation devices versus the current device. We've been making these marginal changes, but they have had true benefit for both patients and providers. I think the EP space is a good example of this. When we look at the upcoming rollout, pulse field ablation should hit sometime in 2023. While this is very similar from a procedural standpoint to current cryoablation or RF ablation to treat atrial fibrillation, there are some benefits. We have some tissue selectivity, fewer complications periprocedurally. The procedure time should be less, which could increase the number of procedures that a physician can do during a day. And it might even put this technology into more proceduralists' hands because of the ease of use. There are still some unknowns here. This is not the silver bullet for treating atrial fibrillation, but there are some advantages from a patient standpoint. Complications can be very, very challenging. And from a time standpoint, it would help organizations with throughput. Some exciting stuff here. It's not going to solve the AF endemic that we have, but it is going to help. The pulse field ablation in many ways is revolutionary, but it's a new energy source. So we've been used to using either freezing technology, cryo, or ablation, which is burning technology. And this is cardiac selective. There's really two big drivers here. It's shorter procedures and safety for procedures. And the longer the procedures are, the more chance that there's going to be a problem that's going to develop. If you're in an academic center, two AFib ablations in a room a day, that's pretty much capacity because not only are you teaching, but it's the length of the procedure. 
procedure. Now, if we can do three cases in a room a day or potentially even four, that's pretty revolutionary. Your cost per case and your fixed costs get adjusted significantly because instead of those people in the room doing two cases, they're doing four. Not very often are we able to do something to fix costs, but this is something that we're able to do. But again, the problem is, is that when this technology comes out, it's going to come at a premium price. The cost per case is going to go up. Hospitals clinically will be excited to have this. People in the financial areas will be thinking, how does this affect our bottom line? You maybe make less per case, but you're able to do more cases to make up the difference. But it's not going to be a financial game changer for hospitals, I don't think. And that puts even more onus on the program to think programmatically as opposed to procedure. And it's something that we've talked a lot about at SG2 over my tenure here, but focusing on the program, not the procedure, is again going to be important, even with the rollout of something like pulse field ablation. It sounds like some of this new technology, it can boost growth because it allows you to do more, but it comes at a price. So there's a lot of different factors at play, a lot of different dynamics. One thing that's really interesting in this space, too, is hospitals want to be on the cutting edge hospitals will have to weigh in. It's like, okay, am I going to purchase this? And I know there's going to be a significant cost with it, or am I a late adopter? The other thing is they're looking at physician satisfaction and do they have the tools to treat with the shortage of physicians as well? This could be a differentiator for hospitals that if they don't purchase this, the physicians will either not come there or they'll be looking to go to a competitor because they'll feel they need this technology. So I think many hospitals are going to be early adopters of this. And obviously there's going to be a rollout from each the companies because they can't bring everybody up to speed at the same time. I don't think there's going to be many late adopters just because of the clinical benefits as well as staying competitive in your market. As they're thinking about bringing this new technology on, I think they're going to want this. Every EP doc that I've talked to can't wait for this to hit the market. But what are the considerations? We have the generator. That's a capital expenditure, largely. We've got catheters. They're going to be new that these EP physicians haven't used before. That may function slightly different. We've got mapping systems that those catheters connect to along with the generator that will hopefully be able to be used in a PFA case versus their RF or cryo cases today. But we've got the mapping system. Those are some pretty key considerations. If you're thinking, we need to bring this new generator on so that we can do PFAs, but there's a whole bunch of other technology in that room that are used during the case that may or may not be compatible. Chad, that's an excellent point because you're thinking ahead that it's like, I'm going to have this increase the supply costs, but to be able to use that supply, I have a lot of capital costs that are going to be in the equation as well. So many of our new technologies that come out, there's sometimes not much for capital costs. This one, there's a significant capital cost with. Hospitals will have to prepare for that. And as we all know, capital equipment right now to be able to get that approved at hospitals sometimes is very challenging just because they're cutting back on their capital equipment approval process for the year or for maybe multiple years in a row. That was not uncommon before the pandemic. This is going to put further constraint on this. And this is where the physicians are going to have to show that this is justified through clinical outcome safety and efficiency. We talked about a lot of different types of technology coming to market, but also with that comes a lot of expense. As some of this stuff comes to market, if you're a provider and you had to summarize, what are my key considerations in terms of adoption? What are those considerations? 
some of the considerations would include the financial impact to your lab. I mean, first, if you're a clinician, you're thinking, what's my clinical impact to my clinical practice? Am I going to improve safety, lesser complications? Will I have less readmissions? Not that clinicians can't be financial stewards for the hospital, but the first hurdle to cover with them is, is there a clear advantage with this technology? And I think the technology we've talked about, there is a clear advantage. From the hospital system, it's how do I stay competitive in my market? How do I stay cutting edge? On the other side of it, I have to look at my financials and think long-term, how does this affect my bottom line? Am I accepting of smaller margins, but can I make up for it in different ways? It's one of those things that in the healthcare equation, you have to look at quality and cost over outcomes and be able to weigh those. With these technologies emerging, most hospitals will say, I have to get into this field and be able to treat patients in this manner. And they're going to have to figure out how to improve through efficiencies and other ways to be able to get the margins that they need. From the industry perspective, they have to really evaluate how this is going to impact volumes. How is this going to impact their ability to meet the demands within their market? You've mentioned the financial situation, Doug, from the provider's perspective, but from the industry side, I think they also have to be mindful of that. Are you approaching a program that's going to be able to absorb that extra capital expense? Or are there novel ways that you can work with your customers, in this case, the providers, to financing these types of investments? We've seen a lot of really novel financing structures put in place for these new technologies. There's willingness on industry's side to make sure that they are being good partners with their customers, with the providers. And this is a good example of that being a necessary part of the rollout. And I guess if you're a patient or consumer, what's your role in all of this? Do you have one? As a patient, they're becoming more and more knowledgeable each year because there's many different ways you can do searches now. So obviously, the internet, you have to be careful with the good and the bad. But the patients come in to talk with a physician in ways that they haven't talked with in, in the past at a level of questioning. How are you going to approach this procedure? What technologies you use? You have people asking about 3D mapping. And I'm guessing you're going to have patients coming in there saying, are you, you going to be using pulse field ablation? And then the other question patients would have right now is, do I wait for pulse field ablation to be out there before I have my procedure. So the patients will have more and more questions for their providers, which is good. We want to inform consumer. The patients seem to have the upper hand these days. They really do. They've got more information that they bring to their providers. There's choice out there as more providers, more health systems are offering more. And so patients really are almost demanding of these new technologies because there's more information available online to inform them. So this topic of consumerism can't be overlooked even in the CV space. Yeah, it sounds like that could be an entire entirely different topic for another day, the role of consumerism in adoption of technology. We talked a lot about the challenges that both providers and suppliers are facing as it relates to this additional spend in new technology in different innovative ways to treat patients. Any other parting thoughts or comments? I think it's exciting time in cardiology and all medical spaces. We used to think about just we could throw a technology at everything and get the results we need. We're kind of taking a step back and look at the whole healthcare equation. How do I look at total cost of care, not just the supply price, but also as patients come in and become more demanding in good ways. It's like you look at the whole healthcare experience. How do you create the efficiencies and how can you get patients out of the hospital in more timely manners? It's just part of the total cost of care. 
And if we bring this full circle back to the Vizient Summit, we have all stakeholders trying to address these key constraints that exist within healthcare today around financial pressures, capacity constraints, access issues, and workforce challenges. And while technology isn't going to solve them in and of itself, having all of these stakeholders come together, sit down at the table and talk through what they can bring to these challenges to solve these challenges will only help. And it will require both sides making sure that they are bringing their best to the table. Thank you both so much. And we look forward to hearing from you both again in the future sometime. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes. And you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.